Why is legalism such a big deal? We've been reading Galatians together at church and in Bible studies this term. Galatians is a letter written by Paul to a bunch of churches in what we now call southern Turkey. He wrote this letter because the churches in this region had taken on board a different gospel. Some people had come into their area and they were saying, if you want to be right with God, trusting in Jesus, well, that's okay, but it's not enough. Faith in Christ alone doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't make you one of God's people. They were saying to be one of God's people, you've got to do certain things. You had to live by the law God gave to Israel. You have to be circumcised and most likely do things like follow the Jewish food laws and purity laws. You've got to follow all these laws to be right with God, to be part of God's people. That's legalism. But what's the problem with this? Surely if something makes people more aware of God, uh, makes themselves want to conform their life and deny themselves for God's sake, surely that's a good thing. Uh, Surely more strict behaviour, especially if it comes to doing what God told the Israelites to do, surely being more strict is better than a free-for-all. What's the problem with legalism? I wonder if some of us really resonate with this. Maybe you're thinking, look, what Australia needs today, and that includes Australian Christians, Australian churches, what our problem today is everyone just does whatever they want. There's too much license to do your own thing. Surely what we need is more laws, more rules. What's wrong with legalism? Christians in Australia could do with a a wake-up to live God's way, to be less tolerant of sin, or even just to be less tolerant of foolish behaviour that often leads to sin. Surely, licence is the big problem, much bigger than legalism. What's wrong with legalism anyway? If it gets us interested in the things of God, strictly living for him. Well, the whole letter of Galatians is written to help the churches in Galatia see, to help us see the threat of legalism and to find true freedom that Jesus brings. We're finishing up our series in Galatians today. We're looking at the concluding paragraphs. And in this conclusion, Paul gets really serious about legalism. We see how serious things are because Paul himself takes up the pen to write these last couple of sentences, these sentences that bring home everything Galatians says. If you haven't understood things we've said over the last eight weeks in Galatians, this is the week to be here because this week summarises the most important things of this whole letter. Paul takes up the pen himself. In the ancient world, it was pretty common to use a scribe to physically write letters, and there's evidence Paul did this. But here, at the end, Paul takes up the pen as he summarises and concludes. And have a look at verse 11, Galatians 6.11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. The large letters could be because he's got messy handwriting. It could be because his eyesight was poor, but... If it was those reasons, well, then why would he point it out? Because they could just see for himself that he's got messy handwriting. 
But even if there was a physical cause, I reckon Paul draws attention to his large letters because he's finishing this letter with a bang. Something like the ancient version of bold font or even he's writing this in all caps. You know how if you get an email and it's in all capital letters, it might be because the person who's writing it to you didn't study English well at school and doesn't know how to... But what you read is it's like shouting. You get this email, the person's shouting at you. Everything is really important. That's what Paul's doing in these last couple of sentences. He's writing in all caps, so listen up. And what is it that's so important that Paul would write with large letters? What does Paul want us to to hear? Well, after almost six chapters, Paul finally lets rip and he explains the motivation for false teaching. He gets to the heart of what motivates, what causes false teaching. False teachers aren't motivated for God's glory They're not motivated out of love for those who teach. They're motivated to escape persecution and to puff themselves up with pride. Verse 12. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. So they're teaching legalism, compelling circumcision to avoid persecution. What's, what's going on? In the earliest years of the Christian movement, much of the persecution came from zealous Jews. Persecution wasn't a racial thing, it was a religious thing. It wasn't racial because not only were the persecutors ethnically Jewish, but the earliest Christians, most of them, were ethnically Jewish too. But these converts to to following Jesus, as they proclaimed Jesus, when they proclaimed that the one who was crucified, who was crucified, is also now the risen and reigning Messiah, as they proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, that salvation is found in no other name, And by saying that the Spirit has now been poured out on all flesh, anyone who believes in Jesus, Jew and Gentile, are now welcome into the people of God, this gospel that was being proclaimed by the earliest Christians made zealous Jews furious, including Paul, the guy who wrote this letter. When you first meet him, he's the bloke. You first meet him as Stephen is being lynched, the first Christian martyr. Zealous Jews like Paul were wanting to finish off the Christian movement by whatever means possible. And so it seems some Christians thought, well, a way to soften things, a way to make Christianity less offensive, less likely to get persecuted, they thought, well, why don't we keep saying, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, but also let's make Gentiles get circumcised and make them follow all the Jewish food and purity laws and the whole shebang, have them keep the the weekly Sabbath and the feasts and festivals, why don't we make them follow the law of Moses and maybe that'll be less offensive. Maybe that'll cool down the persecution. The legalists aren't motivated by God's glory or truth or the good of other people, 
They're just trying to save their own skin. And it also sounds like they're driven by pride. They want to boast in how many Gentile believers got circumcised. Maybe there was competition between two groups. Uh, These law teachers felt competition against those like Paul who taught a law-free gospel. And they, maybe they, were, they wanted more people to follow their way of thinking. And they thought, well, maybe if we get more followers, then God must be blessing us. We must be right. Paul must be wrong. Well, here, in these last couple of sentences, written in large letters, their hearts are revealed. We see the hearts of these false teachers, and it's not good. They're motivated by pride and to avoid persecution. They're not driven by God's glory or wanting to do what is right for believers. Brothers and sisters, this is a warning to us, isn't it? Throughout church history, false teaching has often arisen due to pride and greed or to avoid persecution. During the Reformation period, for some, they stuck with Roman Catholicism, not because they believed the Pope was right, but because if they left Rome, they'd be persecuted. Or maybe they didn't want to go with what the Bible says because it was more comfortable sticking with the Roman church. There was comfort, luxury and power if you stayed in Rome's good books. More recently, theological liberalism, which is fake Christianity, another gospel, a different gospel that denies the the miracles of Jesus, denies the resurrection and the virgin birth, also doesn't talk about or even believe in God's judgment, or that there's only way of salvation is through Jesus taking the curse for us, many liberal teachers were driven by wanting to see Christianity succeed. They thought, well, if we downplay the bits of the Bible that aren't palatable, if we downplay the difficult bits, maybe more people will come to church. False teaching often comes with a desire to avoid persecution or to feed pride. What are the risks for us today? Maybe it's the risk of going with the broader culture on gender and sexuality, denying what God says to avoid prejudice or persecution. Maybe it's the risk of compelling Christians to agree with either the right or the left side, actually the wrong hands, you know, right or left, it's the same for you, right or left side on political views, saying, look, to be a real Christian, you've got to agree with this view of taxation or this view of the environment and then forcing people to take on these views. Why? Because you want to get the power that comes with siding with a certain group of politics. What's the problem of legalism? One of the problems is that legalism, like all false teachings, all false gospels, is it doesn't grow out of a heart that fears and glorifies God or from a heart that loves other people and wants what's best for them. It's not about the truth. It's about pride and avoiding persecution. Now, knowing my own heart... They're pretty tempting things to be motivated by, aren't they? I don't like pain. I like people to like me. 
And my ego wins over humility far too often. So how do we not fall into the same trap? Well, the answer Galatians gives is to keep our eyes on the cross and to know who we are in Christ. Keep your eyes on the cross and know who you are in Christ. So first, keep your eyes on the cross. Verse 14, may I, this is Paul writing, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Uh, The solution to both legalism and license is the cross of Christ. Uh, Legalism is forcing people to obey your rules. License is saying God's grace in Christ means living God's way, loving, fearing and honouring God. That's not important. He'll forgive you anyway. Both license and legalism are destroyed when our eyes are on the cross. Because as we boast in the cross, as we focus in what Christ has done in his death, we realise, well, grace, God's grace doesn't mean licence to sin because our sin took Jesus to the cross. That is how serious sin is. The cross shows us there's no freedom in sin. The true freedom, the freedom comes by walking by the Spirit and serving one another in love. The cross shows how serious our sin is. But the cross also kills legalism. Because we know we cannot earn our salvation. If righteousness was something we could earn, if it was something we could obtain, if being righteous was just a matter of keeping a few rules, and the law of God says itself that it's not that hard to keep, if all we had to do was a couple of ceremonies, a few religious rituals, cut off a bit of skin, well then Jesus wouldn't have had to suffer the curse of God on the cross. And so we boast in the cross. There's nothing in us making us worthy of God, of God's love, of God's salvation. It's all of his mercy. So we keep our eyes on the cross. We also know know who we are. The cross changes who we are. It gives us a new identity as we die to sin, die to ourselves, die to the world, and are made new by the Spirit in Christ. So verse 14 again. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. Legalism is too small a vision. Legalism says, cut off a bit of skin, change your diet, keep a couple of rules, and if you do that, you'll be right with God. The gospel of Jesus says, nothing less than new life, dying and rising again, dying in sin and rising as a new creature with a new spirit. The problem of our sin is so big, nothing less than new creation is needed. Verse 15 is the key verse. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. Your ethnicity, your culture, your heritage means nothing. What we all need, Jew and Gentile, men and women, young and old, what we all need is to be made new by the Spirit as we are united to Christ by faith. It's only 
as we are new creatures by spiritually dying and rising with Christ. Only by faith in Jesus can we be God's people, the Israel of God. Now this term, the Israel of God, raises a big question that's been bubbling all through Galatians and I haven't addressed it directly, so I'm going to do it now. Uh, Some Christians think uh, there are two peoples of God, an earthly people and a spiritual people. Israel, Jewish people, are one people of God and Christians, those who trust in Jesus, are another distinct people of God. Uh, the, the word that's used to, uh, to label this theology, this way of understanding the Bible is dispensationalism. It's common in some Baptist brethren and Pentecostal churches. It's big in America. Uh, so many of the big name preachers on early morning TV hold to this understanding of the Bible, that there are two peoples of God, the earthly and the spiritual, Israel and the Gentile church. But we've been seeing all the way through Galatians, one of the threads all the way through Galatians is that there is one people of God. All those who trust in Jesus, who by faith have died to the world and are new creations in him, everyone with faith in Christ are the people of God, the Israel of God. That's the big point of what we heard about Abraham, Galatians 3 and 4. Jesus is the offspring. He is the seed of Abraham. And this means that all who trust in Jesus, if you are one with him, united to him by faith, then you are an heir of the promises of Abraham. That's what we've got up there, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Who are the heirs? Who are those who receive the inheritance of God's promises? Israel, the Israel of God, everyone who belongs to Jesus by faith in him. No matter your ethnicity, your gender, your economic freedom, if you trust in Jesus, you are a member of the one people of God. There are not two peoples of God, earthly and spiritual. There's one. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because it means... If there are one, there is one people of God, it means that all of God's promises are for us. All of God's promises are for you, for anyone who trusts in Jesus, no matter your ethnicity. All of the promises of God are ours in the Lord Jesus. And these promises are worth suffering for as we die and rise with Christ there will be suffering. And so we need to be prepared, don't we? Because there's a temptation when suffering comes to give up on the truth. And so Paul finishes this letter by reminding the Galatians how he has suffered for Jesus and for them. Whilst the false teachers want to mark the the Galatian bodies with circumcision, Paul has had his body marked by persecution for the sake of Christ. And then he leaves this letter in the same way it began. Galatians 1.3, he greeted them with grace and peace, which is how this letter ends. So verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. 
For I bear on my body the marks of Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. What's so bad about legalism? Legalism is opposed to grace. Christ died to bring freedom to his people. Not freedom to indulge the flesh to do whatever we want any old time, but freedom to serve one another in love. Freedom to do good to all, especially the family of believers. Legalism is opposed to freedom. You might think being a bit stricter in the law would result in better Christians, a better church. But the message of Galatians is the law cannot achieve those things. All the law results in is pride, in biting and devouring each other, and it leads us away from the only way we can be saved and changed, a new creation in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your love that leads to our freedom. Freedom from the law, freedom from sin and selfishness, freedom to serve in love. Please help us hold fast to the gospel, to the truth of the gospel, to not change it out of fear of persecution or prideful desires. Help us keep our eyes on Christ crucified for us and to know that we are new creations by faith in him. May we live as people to whom the world has been crucified to us and we crucified to the world. Keep us in the truth. Your gospel word is truth. Amen.